Today we're wrapping up our uh, series in the Holy Spirit. It, it, it's just been three weeks. I understand it's, it's a flyover, right? We're, we're at a high altitude looking down, and, and we've kind of dive-bombed into a, a few things. But, but this series could have been much longer, and certainly as we jump back into Acts here in a couple of weeks, we'll, we will uh, we'll have plenty of room to talk about the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But let's jump into Galatians 5. We'll be in uh, verses 16 through 25 this morning. I'm going to start by just reading the passage. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us walk with the Spirit. He bookends the passage here with, with walk by the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. So let's follow the logic of verse 25. Right? If, if we are alive because of the Spirit, if we have life, our very life is because of the Spirit, um, then the only response that makes any sense is that we would walk or that we would keep in step with the Spirit. So for the Christ follower, everything that we do ought to be. It should be in step with the Holy Spirit. We are to be constantly dependent on the Spirit to live a life that glorifies God. So all throughout our day, every waking moment, Paul tells us, walk in step with the one who gives you life. So verse 16, there's, there's this, there's uh, 16, 17, there's this battle. Uh, there's these desires of the flesh and he tells us, no, we're, we're going to walk by the Spirit. We're not going to gratify. We have these two opposite natures at work. And, and at every moment, we're living by one and not gratifying the opposite. So he uses this word flesh, and this doesn't mean like, like our skin, right? This isn't our physical nature. Uh, this is the nature that, that, uh, that we were born with, the, the old nature that we come into this world with. It's this, this nature that, that it desires sin and it permeates us, right? This is this is what is opposed to our now, if you're, if you're in Christ, our now God-desiring nature that comes with regeneration, that, that comes with being born again. So the flesh, is it's our hearts not yet renewed by the Spirit. And at first glance, as you're in this passage, we might be tempted to think of uh, the, the flesh as this desire within and the spirit is, is on the outside battling, but that's not so, right? Paul talks to these as, as desires clearly from within. And over the past couple weeks, as we've talked about the spirit, it's clear that the Holy Spirit is given to each believer, that the Holy Spirit dwells 
in us. And we should have times pretty regularly where this just stops us in our tracks. That the Holy Spirit, right? And, and Paul describes this, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. In Genesis 1, this is the same Spirit that hovered over the waters in the beginning of creation. This is the Spirit that gives life. This is the Spirit that intercedes for us. This is the Spirit that gives us words to speak about Jesus. The Spirit that reminds us and teaches us of the truth of the word. And we can go on and on, but this is the spirit that we talked about last week. Jesus promised, it's better for you. He says, it's to your advantage that I leave because when I leave, I'm gonna send the spirit and the spirit will dwell in you. If you've placed your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. Praise God for that. So back to this battle of desires and and we need to think through the word desires here um, because we might fall short in our thinking about uh, this word. We want to understand what Paul is saying. So this word means uh, inordinate desire or or I read someone that put it this way. They said over desiring. Um, So often our problem isn't that we desire bad stuff. It's that we over desire this this good stuff. We over desire the created things instead of the creator. So we have this inordinate desire. We have these these over desires in us. We're turning things into idols. We're we're trying to dethrone God and and put these things in, in God's place. And here are a couple of verses where, where Paul and then Peter talks along these same lines, these desires, these passions. Ephesians 2.3. He says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. First Peter 2.11 He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So in in verse 17, Paul tells us that the flesh over-desires against the spirit. They are in conflict. Right? The spirit desires against the flesh. And, and obviously the spirit does not over-desire anything. Right? The spirit desires totally appropriately, perfectly. And Paul tells us that, that the, the spirit passionately desires as well. We can feel uh, the, the flesh passionately desiring. I wonder, though, if sometimes we think that the spirit doesn't desire just as passionately, and, and actually I would say more passionately over, uh, over the over-desires. <laughs> over, that was not a good way to say that, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, of the flesh. So what is it that the spirit desires? Though? Uh, Jesus, I think, helps us with this in John 16, 13, and 14. He says, when the spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then he says, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit desires that Jesus is glorified. I think Ron did such a great job a couple weeks ago of of helping us understand that the Spirit is always highlighting Christ, always pointing the, the, the spotlights, spotlight onto Christ. He loves it when we glorify Jesus. Now the flesh, though, loves to glorify the flesh. It glorifies created things, right? Created things that God gave us to enjoy, but we over-desire them. The flesh, as Paul tells us, it's functioning under the law. 
The, the flesh wants to reject salvation in Christ. The flesh looks to make its own way. It, it does not trust in God's goodness. It does not want God's grace. So the flesh takes the good that God has given and, 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 and over-desires it. Right? And we see this in, you can see this in relationships, right? You can have a relationship that God has given you. It's a, it's a gift from him, but we can easily slip into over-desire. We make it into this idol or, or money, right? There's nothing wrong with money by itself. In fact, money is necessary, but we easily over-desire money. Most of us, maybe without knowing it, convince ourselves, I just need a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more. But the truth is, a little bit more is never enough for us. David Paulson said this. He said, if idolatry is the characteristic and summary Old Testament word for our drift from God, then desires is the characteristic and summary New Testament word for that same drift. The New Testament merges the concept of idolatry and the concept of inordinate, life-ruling desires for lust, craving, yearning, and greedy demand. So Paul tells us, walk in the Spirit. Don't gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit desires that Jesus be glorified, and the Spirit is the one that puts these Jesus-glorifying desires within us. We don't produce these desires on our own. The Spirit is always ready to point us to Christ. He wants us to see Christ for who he is, and he wants to shape us. He wants to transform us. He, he wants to, to, to conform us to be more and more like Christ. Walking by the Spirit is living out those desires that the Spirit produces within us. The Spirit's producing these deep desires within us, and walking by the Spirit is living those out. It's saying, yes to that Jesus-glorifying action. It's saying yes to that Jesus-glorifying attitude. Even the phrase, walk by the Spirit, I think tells us that, that this is Spirit-empowering or maybe enabling might be a, be a better word. Enabling, to us, or able, enabling us to live this way by the Spirit. We don't live this way trying to convince the Spirit to, to empower us. We're not trying to coax the Spirit. It is us responding to what the Spirit is already doing in us. And what you'll notice more and more as you allow the Spirit to shape you and to grow you to be more like Christ, the more you want those very things that the Spirit is doing, those desires that he has given you. Right? You notice that the longer you follow Jesus, the, the more you are growing in him, the more you hunger for him. Uh, I've used this illustration of taste buds before, um, but I'll, I'll use it again because I think it's helpful. As a, as a kid, you have taste buds that like food one way. And when you have little kids, they, they like really bland things. And, and as a parent cooking for them, I get really bored of making bland things. But as they mature, their taste buds mature. So my 10-year-old, in about the last year or so, he started wanting like onions on his pizza and I can't explain why I get so excited about that, but I do, right? Or, or I'll make him a sandwich, and he wants onions, and, and he says, Dad, will you put spicy brown mustard on there? Yes, I will, son. <laughs> I am just as excited as you are about spicy brown mustard. Don't tell him I said any of that. By the way, he'll be super embarrassed. But before Christ, we have taste for sin. Right, we, that's what we desire. And then we come to Christ and our tastes are being changed by the Spirit 
to the point that, that over time, that sin that, that used to taste so delightful to you, you go back to it and it doesn't taste the same. Now, the taste of it actually hasn't changed but, but your taste buds, so to speak, have matured, right? God is changing your taste for what is good. The Spirit is maturing you, and by His grace, He's transforming you to long for what He tells you is good, right? To, to long for what He longs for. But that, transma- that transformation is a process, right? And, and throughout this life, it is a battle. In, in verse 17, Paul says, you don't do what you want to do, right? And this sounds a lot like Romans 7, right? The battle between the spirit and the flesh is real. There's a war raging. Paul says in Romans 7, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But there's this fight within him that he doesn't do the things that he wants to do. The flesh versus the spirit is real. And here in Galatians 5, Paul's reminding us, he's warning us of this battle because it is serious. And it's also confusing, right? If we're now dead to sin, why do we still battle? I heard someone illustrate it this way. And this, no illustration is perfect. This one isn't either, but stick with me. So imagine that, that the flesh is this, this dragon. And this dragon is deadly. All it wants to do is devour you. And Christ comes to defeat the dragon for you. You cannot defeat you. Maybe you've tried. You have no hope at defeating this dragon. So Christ goes with his sword to defeat the dragon. He goes to the cave. You're following close, close by. And he goes to battle the dragon. And the dragon is going after Christ with the fire and with the claws and everything, whipping with his tail. And then Christ in the battle delivers that that death blow. He sticks that sword all the way in. It sticks out the other side. The dragon falls down. The body hits the ground and makes this loud thud. Clearly, the dragon is dying. and, And you run over to Jesus, just blown away that he's defeated the dragon. You look at the dragon and it is, it is breathing heavily. Like each breath is, is just, uh, it, it's, it's a labor to breathe each breath. Blood is coming out of the dragon. And Jesus says, the dragon has been defeated. Right? It will not survive this. But he says that as this dragon is dying, it will try as much as ever to try and hurt you. Right? It will thrash around, so you need to bury this dragon. So you're piling rocks on top of the dragon. He says, watch out. Watch out. It, it, will, it, will, it will swing its tail at you. Maybe it will breathe fire at you as it's dying. You bury it. You leave the cave. Don't ever even come back. Right? The flesh has been crucified. The final death blow has been given by Jesus, and the flesh will still try to hurt you. Walking by the Spirit or living by the Spirit is what the Christ follower most deeply desires because the Spirit is producing that within us. And yet, the flesh, our sin nature, is still thrashing about, still hoping to harm us. In this side of heaven, we can still give in to our flesh. Right? The flesh loves to put before us these, these alternatives to what God says is good. Even as the flesh and the spirit desires are battling deep down, God has put in us by the spirit this desire to want to follow God. Even as we are tempted 
the believer can tell herself, can tell himself, this is what I desire. The Spirit has put this within me. That is not who I am anymore. I want God now. I want to follow his way. What the flesh puts before me is not who I am. Yes, that desire is there, but the Spirit has given the desire of what I was actually made for, the desire to glorify God with my life. And verse 18 really parallels 16. In 16, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, right? Not gratifying the desires of the flesh. And then the parallel in 18, be led by the Spirit. And you're not under the law. So he gives us this little different angle here. Right? Paul shows us that, that walking in the, the Spirit, living in the Spirit, the Christian is led by the Spirit. Right? So again, this, this points us to this is God's doing. The Spirit is the one initiating. And, and, and in a little bit, we'll, we'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit, but, but Paul doesn't call it the works of the Spirit. And I think at least one reason, I'll get into some others, is so that we're not delusional into thinking that, that this is what we do, that this is our works, that I can try hard or I can achieve, right? I can... Um, I can earn this, this list because some of us might struggle with being legalistic, right? Maybe it's just kind of how we're wired or, or maybe it's from the family you were in or the church that, that you were a part of. So we see the, the fruit of the Spirit and we want to just make check boxes and, and try and, and say, okay, this is, this is what I need to do. I need to be disciplined. I need to make this happen to, to be a good Christian or, or to earn God's approval. No, no, this is the Spirit producing in you. So do we participate? yes. Yes, we do by God's grace, but the Spirit is initiating. The Spirit is one changing, growing. The Spirit is one producing in us what is good. We remember John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Romans 7, 18 and 19, he says, uh, Paul says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. There's nothing good in me. Whatever in us that is good, it's because of God. Right? The good we see in the world, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, that's God blessing. That's God's grace in our world. So how does the Spirit lead us? Well, he does it by growing these Christ-glorifying desires in us. He grows the desire to glorify Christ in our household, uh, in, in, in our workplace, right? in, in the ways that, that we handle all areas of life, in, in relationships. Right? If, you're, if you're dating or engaged, he grows this desire in you to glorify Christ in that relationship, and we respond. Right? We respond. We live out what he is enabling us to do. And Paul says when we're led by the Spirit, we're, on under, we're not under the law. Well, how is that so? I think he helps us in, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 4. It says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When we walk according to the Spirit, the, the Spirit's leading, we're fulfilling the requirement of the law. We're fulfilling the, the basic requirement of the law, which means we are not condemned by the law. And then 19 through 24, this, this, uh, this, this comparison, this battle continues. Paul contrasts the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Right? The same contrast that, that we read in 16 and 17. The works of the flesh are what happen when we 
gratified the desires of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit come about, or maybe it's better to, to say appear uh, when you walk by the Spirit, because this is the Spirit's doing. So the works of the flesh in, in 19 through 21, uh, this is not an exhaustive list. He ends it by saying, and things like these. And you'll, you'll also notice that the list is, it's not just actions, but, but it's attitudes as well. Right? So much of the works of the flesh are acted on in the heart, but maybe, maybe never uh, in a behavioral way that, that someone else can see. So, so the first three are about uh, sexual immorality, the area of, or the area of our sexuality. Right? And then he jumps into idolatry and, and sorcery. And it seems that likely what he's doing here is, is, is speaking to specific pagan and, and specific occult practices. Right? The first is making a substitute of God. Right, right, putting putting this this idol yeah, on par with Yahweh, and, and then the sorcery is, is faking the work of the spirit, and, and then he lists off. I think it's like eight words, and, and these are attitudes that are always destructive. Right, all of us struggle with with some, if not all of these attitudes, and and though on paper wait, we read them, we go, yes, those are those are not good. Right, it, it's not good for me to to be argumentative all the time, to, to pick fights with others. It's not good, it's not healthy for me to be jealous, to be envious, to, to want what my brother or sister has and, and, and want it to the degree that I don't want them to have it so I can have it. That's, that is not good for us. We're not trusting in God's good provision and it puts a barrier between me and them. And this description here, fits of anger, uh, what a great way to put it. I, I don't know last time you saw a toddler throw a fit. Um, I've had a couple toddlers that could throw some mighty fits. And, and I laugh at a lot of things. And one thing that, that I, I ha I've had to do many times when like my three-year-old, my four-year-old back in the day, they're throwing a fit. I'd have to turn to the side so I could laugh at the ridiculousness of whatever the situation was, right? That the, there's peanut butter only on one side of the sandwich or whatever it is. And they're, they're losing their mind over it. But man, when we do this as adults, there's nothing funny about it. Nothing funny I can laugh at my kid when they're little when they do that. It doesn't get funny when they get older. It certainly doesn't get funny when I do it. It's, it's ridiculous. It's a work of the flesh. And drunkenness and orgies, there's, there's consensus. There seems to be consensus that these are both a, a, about drinking. One of the works of the flesh is addiction to substances, to, to seeking out or creating pleasure. So Paul, he, he says with this list, he says, uh, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he's speaking to habitually practicing these things, right? This isn't the person, this isn't the believer that's battling and, and has, a, has a momentary lapse. No, Paul's describing the person just continuing to indulge in the flesh. There is no battling which demonstrates they, they've not been redeemed by Christ. The Spirit has not given them life. So Paul is, is not trying to cast doubt in the believer's heart, right? There is a struggle in battling the flesh, but he does want to squash complacency. He does want to squash our, our justifying, our rationalizing of, of why it's okay for me to indulge in this sin. When we give into works of the flesh, we're not walking by the Spirit, verse 16 tells us. So are there ways or, or what are the ways in your life where you're gratifying the desires of the flesh, right? In, instead of battling the flesh, are you actually battling back the spirit so that you can gratify the flesh? 
And, and maybe, maybe you see this list and you recognize, yeah, man, I've been rationalizing this sin for a long time. I've been, I've been making space in my life, in my heart. I've been hiding this from everyone. Man, today is the day to confess that to the Lord. And I would encourage you, find a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, someone that, that you know loves you and, and would love to help you battle this sin, someone that will pray with you, that will walk alongside you, helping you to keep in step with the Spirit. I'd do that today. Verse 22 through 24, it lists off the, the fruit of the Spirit. And, and I gave one reason why, why he writes fruit of the Spirit, not works of the Spirit. But uh, here's a, a, another one. With, uh, if you've read Paul's letters, my guess is you've uh, marveled at the illustrations that he comes up with, the images that he gives us to describe life in God. And this, this one of fruit, uh, I think it helps shape are thinking about what the Spirit is doing, right? And those who have died to themselves and are living for Jesus. So, so fruit, uh, one way I think this is helpful is fruit grows slowly over time. Um, I've spoken way too much about my blueberries and my raspberries and, and my lime tree, but I'm gonna take one more opportunity here to talk about my lime tree, right? I love my little lime tree. It's sitting on my front porch and I've got a ton of limes right now. It's hard though. Because from the moment it flowers, I get excited, it flowers. And, and, and then to all the way when I get to pick those limes, it's about nine months. Nine months. There's a bunch of limes and they taste really good, so it's totally worth it. But nine months is a long time. I see that flower and I'm like praying for it to drop off so the next part can happen. And then I look and there's this tiny little lime. Right? If, I, if it wasn't a lime tree, I wouldn't even know it's a lime. And day by day, I can't see a difference. Right? Week by week, I don't think I can see a difference. But month by month, man, I get excited. Right? This, this, this lime tree is producing this lime. It takes forever, but it's happening. And similarly, the Spirit is bearing fruit in believers. Right? Sometimes the Spirit does some changing and maturing in a believer, and it's like nearly instantaneous, right? This, this way that they were, this thing that they struggle with, sometimes God just says, bam, and it's done, right? And we praise God for that. When that happens, it, it reminds us that, of his power, right? It reminds us that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But man, there's power in slow growth too. It might be arduous at times, right? In the middle of this fruit growing, we might be tempted to say, God, why are you putting me through this? Why are you, why are you letting me, why are you causing me to deal with this in my life? But then at some point, and it, it might be months later, it might be years later, you see the fruit. Right? And it's undeniable that the Spirit did that in you. Right? He, he did give you a love for that person that, that you could not find a way to love. He grew you in patience with, with so-and-so that used to drive you crazy or with that situation that, that would drive you up a wall. Or he has given you control over this area of, of sin in your life that it seemed like you would never, ever have regular victory over. So I, th I think that's one reason he, he talks to us about fruit here because uh, it, 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 takes, it takes time, just like growing fruit takes time. And a second reason is that he will produce fruit in us, 
right? Fruit, fruit happens in the believer, right? Because this is what God does. It's slow, like I said. You know, maybe, time, maybe there are times when it's so slow you wonder, is God actually doing anything in you? But if you are in Christ, the Spirit is in you, and the, the, fruit, uh, the Spirit does produce fruit in all believers. Tim Keller tells a story of a man who, uh, who died and whose grave was, uh, was, the top of his grave was just this solid slab of marble. And somehow a little acorn got into the grave with the guy. And this acorn, uh, it, it sprouts, and after years and years and years, it's growing, it's growing, and it splits the marble, right? I, I would never imagine that, that it would be that way, but, but I wonder sometimes as a Christ follower, do you feel the heavy weight of sin? It just feels like this slab of marble over you, like you are never going to grow. Man, the Spirit is growing you. His power is greater than you or I understand. He is at work in you. So a question for every believer is, is there fruit in my life, right? Is there fruit produced by the Spirit? Because a fruitless Christian is an oxymoron, right? That does not happen. He is growing you. So he, he starts this list, and I think it's no surprise that he starts this, this list of fruit with love. And let's jump back into Galatians 5.13 and 14. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity of, or for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is key. And, and I hope you've picked up on that in the last few weeks. We are to love God. We're to love our neighbor. We'll find that all throughout Scripture. Right, last week I uh, brought up the verse from Romans 5 where it says that the love of God is it's poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit has brought us into this loving fellowship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Spirit is growing our desire to love more and more like God, to love people with the love of God, to love people the way we, Paul says, love ourselves. The person being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is a person whose whole self it is more and more being permeated with God's love. So the fruit, uh, the fruit that appears in them is, is a life overflowing with that love. But the only response that makes sense to God's love for us is to love in return, both God and others. So we love people, right? Not because they deserve it, not because it will get us something in return, not because it'll, it'll get us further in life. No, we love because God has lavished his love on us, us who are totally undeserving of his love. Spirit gives us joy. Well, why would we be joyful? Well, we know God. Right? Every day we get to marvel at his majesty, at his beauty. We soak in the wonder that he loves us, and because of his love, we get to love him. In his grace, he saved us and made us his own. That is the circumstance for our joy. Okay? Every other circumstance in life, it does not determine why we are filled with joy as believers. We're filled with joy because he has made us his own. He, he gives peace. Right? We have peace because God is in control, even in the midst of a disease. We have peace because we rest in who he is, right? that he is good, and, and again, that he loves us, that he has adopted us into his family. Spirit grows patience in us. Right? Life will throw everything at you. 
Life will be hard. People will hurt you, both people that love you and people that don't love you. People will do stupid things. And patience means being long-suffering. We're long-suffering towards others. We're long-suffering towards hard circumstances, towards trials. He'll grow in us kindness. He'll grow in us goodness in our words, in our actions, in our, in our attitudes even towards others. He'll grow us in faithfulness, being a person that's loyal, a person that's true to their word. He'll grow us in, in being gentle, Right? In, in humility, in a, in a meekness like, like Christ teaches in the Beatitudes that we were in not that long ago, right? Which is so different from the world, right? The, the world is, uh, is so self-absorbed. The world is, is fighting to be superior. The world is, 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 is uh, trying to get more and more power, not so with the believer. So how, how do the fruit of the Spirit grow? Galatians 5, 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Are those who belong to Christ, do you belong to Christ? If so, that is your identity. Our world right now talks a lot about identity. And, and they don't know it, but, but identity really does matter. And yet the Bible is telling us very clearly, here's the identity that matters. Are you God's child? Is this who you are? Because if so, we get to rest with confidence in our standing before the Father because Jesus died for you, right? And, and, and faith in his death and resurrection has made you his own. The Father accepts you not because you're really skilled, not because you can do good things. No, he accepts you because of Christ's work for you, because Christ loved you and died for you. So when you fall flat on your face, when I fall flat on my face, giving into the flesh, we can run to God with confidence, right? We can boldly approach the throne and confess our sin. Why? Because that's not who we are anymore. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh, right? And, and he notice here, he, he writes that the, the passions and the desires have been uh, crucified, with Christ, right? This change isn't solely or, or not even primarily battled on this behavioral level. The Spirit is working to change us at the level of desires, right? He's deconstructing our over desires, our inordinate desires, our false worship at the heart level, and He's reshaping our hearts. He's given us deeper desires to want. Christ, to give Christ the glory he deserves. So these passions, these desires uh, have been crucified and it's an ongoing process, right? Re remember the dragon, okay? The, the flesh has been crucified. That final death blow has been given by Jesus and the flesh will still fight to bring you down. Romans 6, 14, grateful for this verse. It says, for sin will have no dominion over you. Do you trust that? Do you believe that? A few verses before that, Paul instructs us to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ. The Spirit is willing us to be dead to our sin and alive in him. He's changing us. He's changing our desires more and more. Do we trust that the Spirit is at work in us? We'll end here, Galatians 5.25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
again, Paul's saying, it's the Spirit, it's by the Spirit that we are alive. And what makes sense as a response is to keep in step with the Spirit, right? This is active. This involves action. The Spirit leads you and you respond wherever He goes. The Spirit leads you to, to love in this way and you, you do that. You love that coworker, that employee. You go for it because you know God has loved you. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you. We thank you, one, that, that the Spirit dwells in us. And I thank you that your word very clearly, I think, when, when we look, when we dig in, helps us understand how great it is that the Holy Spirit is in us, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that, that because of, of Christ's blood shed for us, the Holy Spirit can dwell in us even as we still battle our flesh. God, would we be a people that, that so want to glorify Jesus, that so want to, to show other brothers and sisters in Christ that Jesus is Lord, that, that so want to show this world, those who, who haven't trusted Jesus yet, that, that he is Lord, that, that he is worth everything to us. God, would you grow us? Would you produce in us fruit, Lord? Thank you, to, thank you that, that, that we participate, that we partner with you, but God, we, we do not want to fool ourselves into thinking that, that we're doing these good things, that we're bringing about this good. It's you changing us, and we're just responding by saying, yes, Lord, I want that. I want what you have, have caused me to want. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.